podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From the people who turned a niche Scottish football podcast into a critically acclaimed TV show on the BBC. It's Review from the Terrace, a pop culture podcast network. Hello and welcome to the Still Game podcast. My name is Bethany Tennick. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Rewatchable. Hello and welcome to Review from the Turnbuckle. Debating the best in movies, iconic TV shows, classic albums, peak era wrestling and so much more. Some intern got fired for that. Like, <laughs> be like, Jared! And what would you have done? <laughs> Loved it. What a moment. What a moment. Review from the Terrace brings together a collection of professionals, pals, misfits and special guest interviews. The one and only Ewan Angus, Big G Telfer, Director of Still Games, Michael Hines. That's Review from the Terrace, a newly created podcast network with at least two shows dropping every week. Hi, neighbour, good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. It's been a long time, man. <laughs> Many people will say it's the biggest moment in the history of wrestling. It's about 35. <laughs> <laughs> Find us on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. This is true. We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do. We don't need robbing, stealing, or mugging. In fact, we'll take it seriously. We're only bugging. Hello and welcome to the Whistleblowers podcast. It is September the 1st, Wednesday, the morning after the night before. The transfer window is done and dusted for another, what, four months? Oh, God, it never seems to end. Uh, Anyway, to pick through the transfer window, which clubs did well, which clubs did badly, which clubs did sort of in the middle somewhere, plus loads, loads more, we are joined by, as ever, Martin Gritton. Martin, hello. Hey, Mark. How are you doing, Martin? You seem to be you're down southwest at the minute, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I've been dragged down for for some reasons that um yeah. Uh well let's not get bogged down in that. Just say yes, yes, I'm down southwest. Yeah, I'm down southwest, mate. <laughs> Good stuff. And Gareth Dobson, how are you doing? I'm very well, happily ensconced in my South Norwood uh, abode. Oh lovely. Look at yeah. that lovely word yeah. lovely words. Gareth, lovely words. Uh, right then, transfer window's done and dusted. I mean, in a way, thank God, because it's been balls to the wall, 110 miles an hour, non-stop, mad window. It's all wrapped up now. Um, what are your overall impressions, Gareth? Um, is it the craziest window you can remember? It started um, very promisingly, or certainly you know, that last kind of two weeks where it feels like you're really counting down seemed quite exciting and promised a lot. It maybe didn't quite deliver on the final day, but it does seem that as years have gone by, those kind of final day fireworks have not really happened as much as they used to. You don't have as many as those crazy Rubinho-style deals uh, or Berbatov's being swiped at airports in Manchester. But, I mean, obviously the, the Cristiano Ronaldo move, is 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 the big headline and and for good reason. Um, yeah, but that happened Friday, Gareth. That happened Friday, and we are now did. accustomed to bigger and better things as the window goes on. So, in a way, an anticlimax. Yeah, very much so. I I mean, it, when the biggest story is that Kylian Mbappe didn't leave, yeah, and nothing happened, then that's an indicator that maybe the headlines weren't quite there. Yeah, uh, let's talk about that one. Grits. Um, Real Madrid offered, if we're led to believe, hundred what is it, two hundred and twenty million euros odd for Kylian Mbappe. Who's the stupider party here? Is it Real Madrid for offering it, or is it PSG for rejecting it? Oh, it's it's absurd. I mean, you can almost make an argument for Madrid making the offer because that's what they do, and that's the sort of amount that it would take to get him. But 
I mean, it's just disgusting all round, isn't it? Really, I mean, just this disgusting amount of money and ridiculous. But they're they're entitled. It's a power move, isn't it? They just sound messy. They probably think they're they're the big boys now, um, rather than you know just a a, a lily French League One team. So, um, you know, let's see let's see if the proof's in the pudding. I think they. Is a marketing tool. It's like having him and Messi up front just makes it so much more interesting. So yeah, you know. yeah, definitely. But I mean, the football. Why would they sell him? You know, they don't need to sell him. It just well, makes that's it. The money's irrelevant, absurd. isn't it? The money's irrelevant. Irrelevant. Yeah, absolutely. But, but the mad so, thing is that we we were told only a few months ago when this whole European Super League thing was kicking off, we were told that clubs were, were struggling because of COVID and da 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 da. And actually, it's turned out that clubs have spent, or the big clubs, have spent a lot of money again this uh, this window. None more so than, well, actually, PSG haven't spent that much in terms of um, outgoings on transfers. But in terms of numbers of high-profile players going in and their wages, it doesn't affect them at all, This uh, the pandemic. And then in the Premier League, you've got the likes of, I mean, ridiculously, Arsenal spending huge, huge amounts after claiming that they couldn't afford anything a few months ago and sacking Gunnosaurus. I mean, I don't know I don't know who to believe here. Gareth, um, broadly, who's had a... Who's had the... Let's start with the worst window. Who's had the worst window in the Premier League, do you think? Probably... I mean, this sounds disgraceful, but it's a toss-up between Manchester City and Burnley. Um, two, <laughs> two very, very, uh, you know, disparate transfer policies perhaps but one essentially again has barely reinforced their squad um for the last couple of years you know Cornet uh from from League One has, has come in for Burnley and that that's pretty much it and you know it feels like every six months we always say well can Sean Dyche keep this same squad moving and going and he does but at some point surely they're going to run out of steam or they're going to have a couple more injuries and it's going to take its toll and then for City, they've allowed everyone to basically catch up on them. You know, there do was you, a lot. Of, do you think so? Well, incrementally, I mean, I don't think you could say that. Oh, there are teams with, you know, size of teams or squads maybe as good as City's, but I would say that most of the clubs, or certainly Chelsea, and Manchester United, have improved and gotten closer. And all you need is for City to, you know, not win a few more games than they did last year and. You know, someone like Chelsea to win a couple more and it will be a genuine title race. So, yeah, I, I think they've let it slip a small amount and I can't work out whether that's because they are so particular about their targets that, you know, they had a very short, short list or whether there's also that little bit of uh, Guardiola hubris who says it doesn't matter, I can I can play my left back as a false nine and we'll be fine. Mm. Grits, do you think um, do you think Man City have have missed the trick here by not strengthening up front? Aguero didn't play last much uh, last season very much. He's gone. Uh, they don't really have a recognised number nine. Ferran Torres has played there. Jesus may play there, but neither one of them necessarily the sort of uh, impactful number nines that you want or that fans seem to want at a club like Man City. Uh, I think Gareth makes a great point. Uh, it's about the fact that uh, Pep probably can shuffle his pack and he played without a striker. I think De Bruyne played up front uh, last season, you know, in that in that position, that false nine with no real strikers. Also, you're looking at Jesus playing, drifting out to the right against Arsenal and just being really dynamic. It's the, you know, dynamic attack situation and they, you know, spent £100 million on Jack Grealish and we're talking about them not strengthening. Uh, you know, they've strengthened, but uh, perhaps not exactly what we think they need. But, I mean, 
you know, it's interesting to see some of those players that perhaps will get more time uh, just by the fact that they haven't signed another glut of, uh, you know, uh, people to compete for places. It, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, mean, I, I think Gareth also makes a good point in terms of the other teams that have strength and will think that they've caught up on them. But, you know, it's it, it all comes down to those heads, head-to-heads this season, doesn't it, really? And you look at the way that Chelsea had the psychological advantage even when, City had, you know, the full complement of players last season. So, uh, yeah, that will be interesting to see how those pan out. Yeah, uh, Gareth, have Man United had a uh, an outstanding transfer window here? I'm looking at some of those names they've signed, unbelievable players, but I still feel like they haven't actually strengthened in the one place they needed to strengthen. No, the that that central midfield position where you know we've talked about Fred and McTominay being you know good if unspectacular players. Oh, can we talk about Fred against Wolves please at some point because that was that was a new low I think. Well, he he, he does find ways to to plumb depth, but then you know he does have good games as well. Um for me the bigger issue I okay to answer the question I think Manchester United you know they are undeniably better. They've got great options in most positions now. I agree that you know that that midfield central area again needs to be improved but for me the the bigger issue has always been Solskjaer seems to either struggle or not want to integrate these players very quickly I'm sure fans would have thought that Sancho would have started by now you look at players last season like Alex Tellez and Donny van der Beek who have come in and basically didn't get game time didn't really come in and and you know he's still playing those kind of those warriors from the last couple of years so I think that there's a lot of pressure on Solskjaer now to turn these acquisitions into a you know a fluid first eleven and squad. Yeah, Van der Beek there you mentioned. It sounds like he tried to get a move away from the club uh, last night, but United put a block on it. So, I mean, I don't know what that means. Does it mean that they just don't want him going to a rival? Do they see Everton as a rival, or does it mean that they think he might get more minutes this this well, season? I, I wonder if he was, to be honest, probably brought in to replace Pogba, who. I think a year ago, everyone assumed wouldn't be at United. So maybe, and he's a he's on a free transfer at the end of the season, I believe. Um, I mean, that that might change, but perhaps they're still viewing him potentially as a long-term successor. Maybe there is a plan. I mean, they, you know, Manchester United's transfer policy in the last years has been fairly haphazard. Um, there always appears to be a bit of a disconnect between, you know, what the coach wants and and, and what the, you know, the board or, or the executives uh, bring in, but maybe there is a plan. I think they've been they've been pretty good in the market the last couple of years with Solskjaer. I do feel like Ronaldo, as exciting as it is for everybody involved with the club, um, and a, and a boost for the you know the rest of the players. I'm not really sure it fits necessarily with what they've been doing the last couple of years. I think that might put a few noses out of joint. Anyway, Grits, uh, let's talk about uh, West Ham, a club you know well. Um, how do you think their window's gone? Yeah, decent. I mean, to be honest, bringing in um, crowd from Spartak Moscow and um, was it Vlasic? Vlasic um, as well, yeah. I yeah. think, yeah, interesting players that seem to fit in with other players in the squad, obviously countrymen, uh, but but in perhaps they would have fit in in terms of the way that they play as well. Um, I, I, you know, they strengthened uh, probably intelligently just bringing in quality players that they think will compete with first team places not something that West Ham have always done in the past no that's right you know um, I I still fear for uh, you know Antonio having enough that's, support that's, and we enough say this every, we say this every week I know but Antonio I mean, look, we all love Antonio it's, it's just, but we we know he's not going to play Not no player in the Premier League plays every week but someone with Antonio's sort of you know all due respect 
history of injuries, he's not going to get through the full season. So I just, I just don't understand it. I mean, I'm sure they've got players in there who can play up front. I'm sure Yarmolenko can play up front. Maybe Vlasic can play as a false... Who knows, whatever. But I just seem, it just seems very strange to me, that grits. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I don't think it's for the one to try, and I think they're just trying to bring in quality. You look at, you know, if they're prepared to let Haller go, I mean, you just don't get these players going back to Van der Beek. You, the reason why Man United aren't going to let him go is because, well, he's a quality investment. They're happy to let Dan James go because they're saying, well, Dan James, we, we tried it and you know, he wasn't quite up to up the standards that Man United. He's still a great player, and I reckon he'll go and do well at Leeds. But it's just interesting player, yeah. to see that Van der Beek has certainly more potential and more pedigree of what they're after. And I think that, you know, it, it's it's a standard thing. They, they try to make it out as a story that, you know, him leaving was a big deal. It's like, well, the clubs not, don't want to let him go and they don't need to let him go, more importantly. But yeah, but back to West Ham, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the most important thing is they've they kept hold of Rice uh, you yeah. know, and, how, and how important that is to them. Um, you know, they're a hard team to break down. They've also strengthened with Zuma, uh, which is a phenomenal signing, really. Because I think, you know, he's still in his prime and he's someone that can have an impact in both boxes. So, you know. I forgot about know, Zuma. Man. I don't know how I forgot about him, but that's that's a really good signing, isn't it? I'm massive yeah. wages, but, you know, if, it, it can easily be worth it. Absolutely. Um, right, before we uh, go to a break, Gareth, uh, you're a Spurs fan. Let's talk about their transfer window. Um, you were one of the few clubs to do some business last minute. Um, bringing in Emerson Royal from uh, from Barcelona, the fullback. Yes, and also letting go, you know, someone who we talk about a lot on the podcast, not always for good reasons, but uh, Aurier seems to have, uh, you know, gone. Yeah, one in, one out of the right back spot. Um, uh, Jaffa Tanganga has uh, had a good start season. You know, he got he got put on toast a little bit by uh, Traore against Wolves, but I think his real position might end up being centre back, and you know, that's one one position where you know Spurs were still looking at options. So I think potentially you may end up seeing uh, uh Emerson Royale and, and 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 Doherty being the two main fullbacks with Tanganga um you know moving into the centre. But I, I think you know Spurs can feel really pleased. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that holding Harry Kane is like a new signing, uh Smudge. Um yeah. and you can't say that. Come on. I can't say that. I'm, I'm, i I take you it back. Holding Harry Kane is like keeping a player you already have. Um, <laughs> yeah, but who want, who they, doesn't want to be there? Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> doesn't want to be there next year. He's fully committed for the next 12 months for sure. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I think Spurs look pretty balanced now. Um, they, they apparently were, were pursuing Adama Traore. Uh, yeah, I'm I just to bring him up. I'm not sure why, because they have a lot of options in the wide area and they also have a lot of wide players who sometimes look really impressive and other times look you know, utterly frustrating, which, and I'm not sure Traore would really have changed that situation. But they, again, I think they're missing a little bit in the middle. Apparently they were considering moving on, you know, uh, Tango and Dombele, but apparently the decision came up from from up high that they wanted to keep him, which, again, you know, is, is quite similar to what we we're talking about, Van der Beek, that, you know, the club sees him as a quality investment. He may not necessarily immediately fit in to uh, Nuno's plans, but, um, I, my guess is that they were being offered a pittance compared to how much they brought him in for yeah, and, club and record signing, to hang it? on to him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Right, we're going to t- go to a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about a... Uh, we'll talk about the season so far, really. Only three games in, but I think it's uh, it's worth talking about that generally. We'll talk about which teams have surprised us the most 
and which individuals have impressed us the most. All of that after this. Welcome back to the show. Uh, now then, Martin Gritton, we're three games into the season, but I want to know which team has surprised you most in a good way. Let's start Let's start positive, in a good way. Uh, well, obviously, West Ham, delighted with their start. I mean, um, you know, Palace uh, sh- just just showed you what the, that's what the Premier League's all about, with the fact that you know, yeah. you're expected to roll them over and then they, they put in that sort of performance and always dangerous. Uh, and, and obviously... Um, just the fact that Spurs beat City in the opening day and um, the Spirit of the Santo, he's, he's come in and um, done well, hasn't he? So, Mark, uh, I'm, I'm finding it hard to take you seriously here, but I'm enjoying all of these filters. Why have you got them and I haven't? I can't access these. I think I've got a newer, because I'm a a newer laptop. Possibly that, but I've got a nice little hat on now. Why have you got to break the magic? You shouldn't mention this to the listeners, but yes, I've got a nice filter on on my Zoom meeting. Um, so you, we've got to snip these, Mark. We've got to snip this classic, classic content, you know? This distraction rather than, um, you know, our football. Oh, we'll get our producer to, to cut that. If you can hear all this, um, then our producer hasn't done his job. Uh, Gareth, who for you has uh, surprised you in a good way? I think... So this sounds very uh, contrary, given they've lost all three games, but uh, Wolves appear to be in yes. a very false position. Um, Definitely. They've played pretty well in all three games. I think you could argue they, they could easily be sitting there with, you know, five, six, seven points. Um, it bodes really well, given that they didn't reinforce their squad too much. They've obviously had a lot of upheaval. I think, you know, they're making a lot of chances and Jimenez is looking like he's returning back to back to his best form. So I think they may end up having quite a good season. I think, you know, I'm assuming Wolves fans aren't going to be too panicked too quickly. Um, Brentford, any newly promoted team to be undefeated after three games, I think is, is a big feather in the cap. Um, they look, they look capable. And that, that sounds like a, a very sort of mealy mouth bit of praise, but it's not. Patronising, not patronise Brentford. I, I'm not going to patronise that those little guys from West London. They're doing really well, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think to, to come up and look like you're not going to be overawed or or outclassed is is a really good sign. And then finally, you know, Brighton. It it, mm. it feels like they're on this this season by season sense of progression under under Graham Potter. And if they can keep it up, it's you know they could potentially you know quite potentially be a top half of the table team and if they can keep this incremental building while again not really you know flashing the cash or spending too much then I think you know their fans can be really excited about what this means for the next couple of years yeah I'm going to go with you on that one Gareth I think Wolves have looked really good and it sounds ridiculous given they've lost all three games like you say but the game against United a lot of talk about Traore I thought he was absolutely phenomenal I, I know his I know he didn't score, I know he didn't get an assist, I know the final product wasn't always there, but it was most of the time in that game. He created some really good chances. Okay, he missed a decent one, but I just thought he he looked superb. I think Trincao looks really, really excellent. Um, it's a shame they couldn't get the Renato Sanchez loan uh, over the line, because I think that would have really beefed up their midfield with Moutinho and Neves. Um, yeah, I think they were a really good side, and I think Bruno Large, um, I think he's... He's doing something that that wasn't happening beforehand. These good technical players, they weren't being allowed to flourish. And now he's just saying, look, just, you know, you are allowed to go and try and outscore teams. Again, sounds ridiculous. They haven't scored a goal yet. But their XG, if you want to get into that, 
is something like third or fourth in the league. They should be, the amount of quality chances they've created, they should have scored, well, in theory, third or fourth most in the league. So read what you want into that. But at some point, that's got to, that's got to balance it out a little bit. So for their sake, hopefully they, they can pick it up and, and keep going and, and, I mean, score some goals. That's all you can ask for. Yeah, it's it's a small element of football, but it's quite helpful. Um, it, it it is worth saying that I'm even as a Spurs fan, I'm very pleased that they kept Traore because I think Traore at Wolves is far more fun than mm. being a sort of squad rotational player potentially at somewhere like Spurs. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, agree. I think uh, you know, old old having at large is probably going to create a more fun team with Traore than as we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. you know what Nuno does. Definitely. Uh, which team looks like they're in trouble, uh, Martin? I mean, obviously Arsenal. Let's cover that quickly at the top. Arsenal look really poor. Um, having said that, they've only really played Brentford as a team that you could expect them to get anything out of. They failed that test miserably on the first day of the season. Because against Chelsea and against Man City, we expect them to get beaten comfortably at the moment, don't we? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to hit rock bottom, do it early. So you have to make some uh, serious decisions and then you can bounce back because we all see if they kind of, it festers in the Premier League, but we'll see they've got they've got some responding to do. Um, they do have you know, quality in their squad, but yeah, it's just complete lack of desire. When you see Kieran Tierney just exasperated, I mean, he struggled with fitness as well, but he's the kind of player that, you know, at the end of last season, you were getting the feeling they would rally around and would be a kind of banner and lead, lead the charge. Nah, none of that because you know just there just seems so much uh, confusion and and kind of self doubt in the rest of the play. Um, but the last thing you need is a Man City whooping, which they got just to, for for your confidence. And I take getting put, you know, getting the what's the word, uh, getting the vote of approval from Guardiola is an extra slap in the face, isn't, yeah, it? isn't it? Just been beaten five 0 You're just like, I'd rather not talk about that. I think we all know situation yeah. but I mean by all accounts Arteta is quite an abrasive character so this is the problem when you're in these situations he's not the guy who's got the charm to get get out of it he's just going to entrench himself further so if the players don't dig him out of it he's toast I like how <laughs> by saying if you're going to hit rock bottom hit it early you've basically made Arsenal sound like the day drinkers of the Premier League <laughs> yes yeah. mate 10am yeah, with the spoons of the Premier League 9am mate 9am don't be silly oh, sorry um, uh, but yeah I don't know I mean well, we'll find out Rock Bottom's got a basement, so uh, there's always lower to go. Yeah. So we'll see what uh, happens. Their next two games, Norwich at home, after the international break, Norwich at home, Burnley um, away, and then Spurs in the league. Those all of a sudden become three incredibly important games, don't they? Because you're thinking Norwich now is genuinely, um, it has to be a must win. Personally, if I'm, if I'm the Arsenal board, I'm getting rid of Arteta last week. I'm getting rid of him the day after the Man City game, give themselves the whole international break, to find someone and to, you know, get in the building. They haven't done that. Okay, fair enough. If they do that now, it seems to be a bit late. It seems like a missed opportunity of a few extra days. But whoever is in charge, Norwich is a must win. And I I think Norwich have actually been okay. Let's talk about Norwich. Have they been a team that you think have have looked like they'll be in trouble this season, Gareth? Yes. It seems a little similar to how it was two years ago under Daniel Farker. Um, There's... You know, again, they they look they look okay in a lot of positions, weaker in others. There's nothing particularly outstanding about them. That's the issue. I you know, defensively, that they're, they're still struggling at fullback. They brought in the, the the young player from Manchester United, and he had a, he had a terrible time. Yes, and it, it just 
Yeah, I, I just don't think they have the overall quality and, you know, decisively perhaps the manager, even though, you know, he, he's brought them up twice um, from the championship, but perhaps right now that, that's his ceiling. He, he already seems a little overawed and, and the excuses appear to be coming already from him about, you know, the issues as to why they're losing games. So I am quite fearful for Norwich already. I would say they're one of the teams I think is going to really, really struggle. But if we talked about Arsenal there playing two difficult games to start their season, we've got to also extend that to Norwich as well, haven't we? Because they started with Liverpool at home, went to Man City, and then were pretty unlucky, I thought, against Leicester. So they've played their three of the top six, sorry, top five from last season. Potentially... Um, and um, next up, Arsenal. Then, then suddenly, oh, actually, no, it doesn't get any easier because it's did, Arsenal. Did Norwich, then Watford, Liverpool, beat, Everton. Did Norwich beat City last time we came up? Or am I am I going wrong? Remember? I mean, this is the thing. There's no surprises from them anymore. Gareth kind of touched on that. I don't think there's any. There's nothing new. There's nothing that's that's going to impact. I mean, you know, they've got the work cut out. But it's interesting to see because the listen, Premier League is an absolute seesaw, isn't it? We're down there. Anything below top seven and you've just got teams that are just slugging it out so a couple of wins yeah. will dig your, your hole and then um, you know see how it goes but you've got to just keep your best players fit at those clubs because that's that's the thing isn't it what, lose your match winners and you're done yeah the last thing you want at this point when you're trying to keep your players fit is an international break and this is, this is the break that everyone gets annoyed by because everybody forgets about this break everyone's so excited about the start of the season then you go oh yeah got this nightmare of two weeks without it coming up. We've got this nightmare of our new players going off and playing for the country and getting injured. It's Look, a couple of months ago, we were all absolutely in love with the Euros. Scotland and England were in it, and we were all buzzing. Of course we were. But tournament football is different to qualifier football, isn't it, internationally? And most of us just want to get on with the league at the moment, don't they, Gareth? Yeah, it it, it, it is, like you said, the most exasperating of all the international breaks. It comes just as you're, you're getting warmed up. Um, from a... From a personal point of view, I always wish it was a, a week early. I, I, I could do with the Premier League off on the bank holiday weekend. You know, you hit the garden centre. Maybe you uh, you pop along to a Notting Hill Carnival or, or whatnot. And and then suddenly, you know, as as the summer sort of fades to an end and you're, you're settling into your your house for, for, for the weekend, then, you know, there's nothing on it apart from probably some terrible rugby match or something awful. Yeah. Um, it's just dreadful. Um and like you said, it comes early, it breaks up rhythm, but it does offer, you know, almost a good reset. If you're if you're having a bad start to season, you get a couple of weeks off, you get to look, you know, even if the players aren't there, the managers and the coaching staff get to look at how things have gone, they get to address things and and you know, implement some some new ideas going into the next round of games. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Newcastle and Villa um, and their starts before we move on to individual players that have caught the eye so far this season. Um, Grits, Aston Villa, have, have they have they struggled a little bit more than you you would expect um, three games into the season? Yeah. Or is it more a case of they've signed all these players? It is hard to get them all gelling. Just give them time. Yeah, I think I, I think give them a little bit of time. I think there's um, you know the big hole that the Grealish left. I mean, they did play with them quite a lot last season with injury but um, yeah no I think it's a, t- a chance to give Dean Smith some time I think he's he's owed that isn't he as the Definitely. manager he's certainly some, oh they're not in trouble um, they're not in oh, trouble oh no 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 but I just mean like uh, to push on and the expectation still some really exciting players in there and, and you know let's see how they get on but yeah again another one where you've got to keep you got to keep your good guys fit yeah and actually the 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 fact that Watkins has only just come back from injury 
missed the first two games, came back on Saturday or Sunday, whenever it was. Um, they've got Ings up there. Bailey, I think, is out with an injury as well. The, Leon Bailey, the new signing. Buendia's starting. It's just a lot going on. You basically transplanted your first, your top four players up the pitch. It's, it's difficult to to sort that out straight away, isn't it? Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, uh, Ings has, has come in and shown exactly what they wanted him to show, which is great. Um, you know, and do you, do you think a, Guardiola wishes he'd signed Ings now? But I don't know what Ings offers you that Jesus doesn't. I don't think I, I reckon Jesus seriously needs. If you give that guy some more responsibility and actually back him. I mean, he's got, he has got pedigree. He's playing he's, wide, man. He's, he's playing wide for Man City. Yeah, but I'd, I'd say Ings is a small forward, though, isn't he? Ings is a, he's a striker, isn't he? And I, I'd say Jesus can be played there as well. I mean, he okay. certainly played down the middle. I don't know. I, I, it's, get the Bruyne back and everyone seems to play a little bit better. I'd say he could put Mares up front. It wouldn't make a difference. He's, he's as good as Ings. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You can play Ed- Edison was score 10 a season up there. Yeah. Not even really <laughs> get- joking. You'd get 10, wouldn't you? I, I'd get one or two bounce off my ass. Um, Gareth, uh, Newcastle, let's talk about them quickly. It, it seems to be the same thing every year, doesn't it, with them? At, at the minute, they seem to at least be trying to play some expansive football. They've got some maximum back, who missed a lot of last season. Um, is this going to be the season they go down? Is this is this one to really worry about? Maybe. Um, there are a few alarm bells ringing. I think uh, we talked about how Newcastle appeared to be sort of trying to push on and play this slightly more expansive football. And we, we did potentially attribute it to the adrenaline and the excitement of playing in these full stadiums. And that's probably not what Steve Bruce wants. But yesterday reports came out that Bruce was trying to have his own sort of back channel negotiations to bring players into the club, which hmm. doesn't bode well. I mean, part of the reason why Bruce is there is, is that, you know, Mike Ashley... He's a company man. He's a company man. And the moment that the company man goes rogue, you know, and obviously isn't pulling up trees from a football point of view, the fans don't particularly care from him, then you yeah. know, that might be a bit of an issue. Um, I mean, let us not forget that last season, Newcastle kind of only pulled themselves out of the tailspin with almost this sort of slightly Hail Mary approach from Bruce, where after, was it seven or eight? without a win, he sort of put his hands up. He was like, I'm desperate, mm. we're trying. And he looked completely bereft and they won one or two and sort of the, it felt more like the, the team pulled themselves out of it. So I don't think, you know, if you look at the last 12 months that they haven't come into the season, you know, on a particularly good, you know, longer run of form. I, I suspect that, yeah, this could be the season where not just struggling, but they could they could potentially plummet. Wow, big, big shout. And I, yeah, I mean, why not? Why They've been down before, it can happen again. They just don't look like they've got any any real mental fortitude. That game against West Ham started the season. As soon as West Ham took the lead, that was it. That was it. You knew they weren't coming back. On the opposite side, when West Ham went a goal down twice in that game, you just felt like they could still come back and do something. And that is the that is the difference between teams that can and teams that might go down. Um, anyway, let's talk about some players that have caught the eye. Martin, um, I'm looking at the list we've got here of players that have had excellent start to the starts of the season. I mean, Salah's on there, um, as you'd expect. Uh, but let's talk about ones that maybe are, are less obvious. Um, who who would you like to talk about first of all here? Well, I'm a massive fan of Gallagher from um, uh, Palace, and it's easy Sam for Gallagher, me to say, yeah. but I did say that to you, um, you did? last week, although I got his name wrong. You um, got his name wrong. When 
I saw him at uh, West Brom and he was just like, he's all action. He was just one of these yeah. lone players that was never afraid to get the ball, was never afraid to kind of put his foot in and try and start games. It's really hard doing that for midfield. It's like really, you have to be really brave. And when you're a team that's getting pumped every week, then it's, you know, even harder. So for a player, for him to, to do that, it's kind of what you want to see from um, is it Billy Waters, who's going to, uh, um, not Billy Waters, Billy, Billy Gilmore, Gilmore um, who's going, Billy Waters plays for Torquay. He's going to Halifax. Um, uh, Gilmore at Norwich you kind of want him to to run the midfield and, and play in that way and I think we saw that from Gallagher really exciting that they've got our man Will Hughes to play alongside him I mean that could be incredible that yeah. could be an abs because that's that's a creative midfield that's got goals but got a bit of steel as well you know if they've got, just got an experienced player in there with him when they've got a couple of, of holding midfielders that will help so yeah, that's really exciting, and I think Palace have, have done really well and should be applauded for the the um, the signings. And maybe that's what Vieira brings. Vieira had I remember playing against his. He was captain of captain manager of the youth team at Man City, and they beat us five 0 and we didn't touch the ball. I was playing for Stockport at the time, as you would expect. I think they had a few World Cup winners in their team, but the youth players for Man City at that point, they're all 16, 17 year olds, are unbelievable. And you're thinking. Um, Vieira's looking at these players week in, week out against other teams and he just must have such a great network to draw upon and you know, and or just even a good eye for those young players. So I'm excited uh, yeah. for that and, and Palace fans should be excited about the opportunity for someone bringing people through rather than just plugging Definitely. holes. This, this whole thing, it, it is a risk. We know it's a risk. Letting Roy Hodgson go, who, who would year on year keep them... They, they were definitely not going to go down with Roy Hodgson. But the football was a little, you know, it was conservative, it was a little bit stodgy at times. There was always the problem, which was like the age of the squad was an issue. Well, the signings that Vieira's made, he's made four or five signings so far. And they're all, I think the oldest one is 28. They're all like between 18 and 26, pretty much. Um, Gallagher's a great example of it. Will Hughes coming to a, uh, probably what he'd expect to be his prime prime years as a footballer. Um, you've got the, the centre-back from Chelsea. You've, how do you say his name? I'm not sure how you say, the, say his name. Anybody help me with that? No, good stuff. You've also got Joachim Anderson from Fulham. You've got There's just good young players in there, and I think Gallagher's a really good shout. Plus, of course, last night they managed to sign the Celtic striker. Um, what do you think of him, Grace? You've yes. seen a lot of him. Yeah, that's, that's a sucker blow for Celtic. Edward, he, he was brilliant for his best player for the last few years. Um great signing I yeah I think he could have a good impact I mean we'll, we'll see how he does in the Premier League compared to Scotland because that's mm. always been the, the criticism but you know I, I I think you got him for a snip it's 14 million not you got him but you know they got him for a snip so uh, yeah. great bit of business uh, Gareth who stood out for you st- so far this season uh, player wise I'm from uh, with my England hat on I'm, I'm excited to see that Greenwood appears to be having a really nice start season. He's come in and made two decisive contributions for Manchester United. Three. Uh, three. Um, and, you know, he had his second season slump, which isn't surprising for a, a teenager at the highest level. Um, if he has had a good off season and he's ready to go, I think that could be very exciting. Obviously, having Cristiano Ronaldo come in may affect his game time. But, you know, Rashford is, is still going to be out for another six, seven weeks, I think. So, he, you know, potentially he's got a chance for a lot of playing time. And I think, you know, for any club, having that young player come through the system is always the most exciting for fans. It's always yeah. what they want to see. And, you know, from a broad perspective, like I said, a, a, another young British player 
who who looks incredibly talented. The only you know the only question mark that came up last year really was his his maturity, and you know he's not yet twenty, I believe. So well, this is the thing. Forgive him that. You you mentioned the the minutes he'll probably lose given that Ronaldo's there now, um, and given that they're going to want to start to play Sancho at some point. So you'd you'd expect you'd expect Greenwood to be covering both the right hand side of attack and central striker, although Cavani's there as well. So probably will limit his game time. However, he is so young, and I do wonder. Maybe Grits can help me out with this. What's more beneficial? Is it is it first team minutes? and getting as many of them as possible? Or is it training every day with the likes of Cavani, Ronaldo? Surely that, surely training every day has, has got to be, it's got to mean something for someone like Greenwood. And the fact that in a year's time, Cavani's gone, and in two years' time, potentially Ronaldo's gone, and even by that point, Greenwood's still only 21. I mean, I think this actually works out pretty well and, and, and also might um, buffet him from any any chances of getting burnt out early. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I think you can manage young players a lot better when you've got that sort of pool of talent. Uh, he will learn a lot off them. Um, you do look at some of those players though and think uh, you do get like the impact that he has at the minute, he will not get as much, you know, uh, opportunity to do that. And I, I, I look at that and I say, it's better than him going out on loan to another team. Yes. Put it that way. But I'd rather him be, be, be playing 15, 20 minutes for Man United coming off the bench and having that impact rather than, you know, going to, because uh, he's not the sort of player like, like Lukaku going to West Brom or something on loan and, and advancing. I think I think he was always destined to have to find his own way back. I think agreement has to be well looked after. Also, I think, you know, just with off-field stuff, I think it's good having him in a big structure like United where he can have less freedom because, uh, you know, um, the idle mind is the devil's playground, isn't it, sometimes with those guys? Definitely. Do you also think there's any benefit the fact that his manager, Solskjaer, is a, is a striker? Do you think that really comes into it? Do you think a manager would take someone aside and, and give you finishing tips? Or is it more that the manager would give you more general general advice? Mm, I don't know. I, I think he'll do some interesting shoot. I think there'll be a lot more focus on that than Mourinho. And Mourinho just left them Definitely. to their own devices in the final third. Um, I think training will be geared up towards that. But yeah, I don't think it matters too much. I think a lot of Greenwood stuff's instinctive, isn't it? He's just the kind of kid that just, he makes room and shoots and he's got that mentality to score goals. You look at some players, they got that kind of, you know, well, what's happened with Martial, you know, that kind of Dartitis thing, just can't let go of it, can't get the, you know, there's things where you just kind of frustrate you as a player and you're just thinking, well, um, if he had a bit more instinctive play, then that would work. Rashford has a good balance of both. I'd be interested to see how that helps his recovery because it, it puts less pressure on him um, and you'll be able to manage him well too. I reckon that uh, actually Solskjaer would be great at the, the strike thing. I, I reckon he tucks Mason Greenwood in at night, cup of cocoa, and sits and tells him a lovely bedtime story about, well, when I came on against Nottingham Forest and I scored four goals as a, as a substitute, bang, bang, mm. yeah, it just <laughs> tails after tails. And then he'd be like, and tomorrow I'm going to tell you about this night in Barcelona. Ah, oh, yeah. Mm. That's quite a nice thought, actually, Gareth. I mean, incredibly uh, sort of self-centred for him to yeah. read stories about himself. Yeah. But, you know, I'm fine with that. Um, can we talk about something that I think we are going to have to mention at some point? Um, the sack race. And we talk about it every year. I'm going to exclude Arteta from this because I think Arteta is going to have to go in the next sort of six weeks latest. Um, so excluding Arteta, who do you see as being favourite or one of the favourites to get sacked first? I think that Daniel Farker is 
potentially, like we said, you know, he struggled last time round in in the Premier League, and I wonder if if he's someone who, you know, they might call his number relatively quickly if the board feel that the squad is there to be kept up. Um, that's for them to make that assessment. Uh, Hassan Hurtle, potentially, if Southampton struggle, my boy. Um, so last week I didn't get the chance to renege on my previous renegement. Um, <laughs> you I, can't you know, flip flop this much, man. This oh, I mean, I, I really can because I, I think they were they were a little bit better in in, in the the last couple of weeks. So maybe my assessment of them being completely doomed is untrue. But but we'll see. Um, but I I do think you know Southampton won't hang about if if things do go south quickly. So those are the two I'd say are worth keeping an eye on. So hang on, you think Southampton are a club that that won't pull the trigger quickly? The guy has lost nine nil twice quickly. Uh, yeah, but there, there's only so much rope. I I, I think they've what one more nine nil, Ralph, and you're <laughs> one done. One more nine nil. There's only a few more that they'll take. <laughs> but I I think you know that they've always taken you know, a view of where the club are in the table, where they stand, you know, because Southampton had a very good start last season, they were never really yeah. in in trouble of getting fully sucked into that relegation fight. But if they don't start well this season, you know, after 10 games, they're, they're in and around that, that bottom three, four, five, and maybe that will be when they look at things. Yeah. Grits, do you agree with that? Yeah, but I'm, I mean, I'm just looking at the table. I'm looking at Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce is going to roly-poly out of there. Sure, I think you're going to get um, uh, just because of sheer frustration. I think Daish is interesting because Daish might just get sick and tired of having to do what he's doing. So where, where's his next step? If Brendan Rogers went to Brendan Rogers, say he gets Arteta's job, and then say that um, Sean Daish goes to uh, Leicester, and then Steve Bruce to Burnley, if that all comes <laughs> what is happening? through, and then <laughs> matchmaker. Um, yeah, I'm just literally thinking the logical progression, or what uh, Steve Bruce will end up at West Brom or Huddersfield yeah. before the before Christmas. But, yeah, um, you know. that, that 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 feels about right. <laughs> and Wayne Rooney at United, another strikers coach. Um, let's finish off. Uh, let's talk about the international games very briefly. It is international week. I feel like we have to talk about it. It'd be remiss not to. Um, but like I said at the top of the show, it's hard to get up for these games, isn't it? It's just. I, for England particularly, sorry to say this, Grits, but we completely expect to qualify. Like, it's it's the, the least we could possibly hope for is to qualify for the World Cup or for the Euros or for whatever it is. Um, at least for Scotland, there's some sort of drama involved, in, isn't there? You've got Denmark in your first game tonight, if you listen to it, it's Wednesday. Um, I mean, Denmark looked very good at the Euros. How do you fancy your chances? Yeah, that's that is too strong for us. I mean, we look plucky, sort of underdogs, didn't we? The, mm. at the Euros, and then we just actually turned out to be pretty rubbish. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the big the players that are needed at that level, um, I don't think we have them. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy supporting and watching. And the Euros was an absolute delight from that perspective, just being involved. Um, yeah. Oh, by the yeah. way, so I um, there's a, a my kid's nursery, and there's a guy who drops his kid off there. And you know when you don't, you're seeing someone out of context and you can't remember, where, where was that person from? And I kept seeing him, he's got lots of tattoos, white guy, like dressed all trendy. And I was like, who is he? Is he a musician or something? What is this? And then during the England-Scotland game, he came on. I was like, oh, it's Lyndon Dykes. That's who it is. It's Lyndon Dykes. He, he, his son goes to the same nursery as mine. Um, anyway, so we're on nodding terms now, me and old Lind. Um, he saw me in the garage one time and nodded at me. 
So, wow, you know, pretty much. Maybe get him on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Gareth, how just do you feel about? <laughs> just replace me for. A I will never replace you, Martin. Um, uh, Gareth, how do you feel about England's uh, games coming up? And also, crucially, are you able to get motivated for these? Um, I, I think it'll be a bit more fun with with fans in the stadium. It was incredibly yeah. bleak in the twelve months leading up to the Euros, especially the friendlies. What is quite fun is the fact that there are three uh, World Cup qualifiers in seven days. Yeah. So by the end, by next Wednesday, we'll have a very clear picture of of where England are in qualification. Probably close enough to qualified, and you know, playing Poland with with, with Lewandowski is quite exciting. And see what happens there. I, I think that you know, Andorra. It will always be about just how England play and whether they choose to blood any uh, non-regulars. Will someone like Patrick Bamford get minutes? And and then Hungary's obviously interesting, given that you know they caused a stir at the Euros in that partisan uh, home crowd and arena. I yep. assume it will be the yep. same again. That's their first game uh, tomorrow uh, or Thursday, as you're listening to this uh, Thursday the second. So it it. Maybe quietly a slightly more interesting set of fixtures than you know it looks on paper. Um, I can see if there's a slip up, it might be the hungry game, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I think it's just um, I sort of a bit resentful. I think we're all a bit resentful that they're snatching the Premier League away from us, and then it happens again in a month's time. So you know, let's not get Listen, too bedded in. I'm really worried about. Uh, I mean, Antonio to Jamaica for his debut. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, I know, oh, I know. It's such a lot, lot of travel. It's not. It's just not great. Rivel Morrison as well, Derby County zone. He's off on that same flight to Jamaica as well, and it's just Uh-oh. we can't afford to lose these players. <laughs> we can't. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's leave that there. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week on the Whistleblowers. Martin Gritton, thank you for being here. Gareth Dobson, likewise. Thanks. We'll be back same time, same place next week for another episode of the Whistleblowers Podcast. If you like it, let us know. Tweet us, do whatever. We're at Football Podcast. Uh, nice one. See you next time. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.